2: Welcome to another edition of the Injured List Podcast. Your host, Brian Scott, here. Thank you once again for joining us. As always, we have a very special episode for you today. We have a guest, formerly known as Dom the Upscale Male. Orza currently goes by the name of Dom the Tuesday Night Delight. He will be calling in and joining us today on the podcast episode to talk all things professional wrestling. More specifically, though, we'll cover some of the more memorable professional wrestling injuries that occurred inside the ring and we'll take a stroll with Dom down memory lane as we cover some of those uh, uh, historical, um, if you will, uh, incidents that occurred throughout professional wrestling over the years. So uh, if you haven't heard Dom, by the way, he's a regular guest on the Devil's Advocate sports talk show live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. on Facebook live with my good friend Abe Delgado as the host. Dom's a very knowledgeable individual when it comes to all things sports, but in particular, professional wrestling, as he, at one time, delved into the field. So sit back, and we'll talk a little bit about that when we get back. First, a word from our sponsors. Thanks again for joining us.
3: Hey, this is Sean Colas with the Perkentile and Creamery We are the premier coffee, ice cream, and dessert bar in the Charlotte metro area. We're thrilling people with our amazing interior design, our incredible customer service, and the quality of our offerings. We have a beautifully designed 1920s mercantile-themed monochromatic throwback where people feel excited by their surroundings and blown away by their treats. We're great for business meetings, families, couples, and you. Ask about our room rentals for meetings, events, or parties. We're nestled next to the Concord Mills Mall behind Verizon and in the same building as McAllister's in Concord, North Carolina. Hey, if you're in the area and you're listening to this right now, get in your car, drive over to the Perkintile, mention that you heard us on Brian Scott's amazing Injuryless Podcast 2020, and receive 25% off your purchase.
1: Hey, guys, are you looking to avoid injury when it comes to your finances? Talk to a professional who can help. Whether you are looking to get your financial house in order or simply looking for that second opinion, visit TrustTreeFinancial.com and schedule your free virtual consultation. Once again, that's TrustTreeFinancial.com.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. I've got Dominic Orza. You may know him from the Devil's Advocate Sports Talk shows on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. as Dom the Tuesday Night Delight. Dom, welcome to the show.
4: Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it.
2: So Dom comes with us with some a topic uh, for conversation. He uh, is a big wrestling fan. And from what I've come to learn, you've actually participated in some wrestling yourself. Can you, you want to talk about that? Right off the get go here?
4: I, yeah, man, I have. Uh it was uh we're talking about eighteen years ago. I don't <laughs> okay. want to age myself, but uh <laughs> yeah, I actually we did little promotional shows like, you know, like outdoor things and high school gyms and, you know, unfortunately no more than thirty or forty people in a, in an audience, but uh it was some fun times, man, and, and we did some crazy stuff and unfortunately never got to go to that next level and get it promoted the way it was supposed to. Um, But it was fun. It's something that I miss. And to this day at 42, you know, turning 42 last week, I still want to do it again. But, uh, you know, I don't know if I still got it. So,
2: Well, fortunately enough, you didn't sustain any severe injuries like the people we're going to be talking about here in a minute. So that's good news. Almost,
4: almost. Almost, You know, I had had one little, uh, yeah, I had one, you know, one thing with me when I did it was, it's so true that they say about like you get that adrenaline rush and that you you your body does things you didn't think you would ever do so height doesn't become a fear and and jumping off things or through things doesn't really become a fear if you know how to do it the right way so <laughs> i did take a bump once where you know i did have to go get my neck looked at and that was always my biggest fear was my neck It was always the biggest thing to me was a neck injury didn't care much about anything else but that one uh Luckily, knock on wood, I
2: was okay. Yeah, and a lot of the, st- and a few of the injuries we're going to talk about do center around spinal cord and neck injuries per se. So, it it is a big risk factor in wrestling, especially when you're looking at some of these moves these guys are doing. So, um, oh yeah, let's let's get right into it, man. Um, one of the first uh, examples of uh, a pretty nasty injury that occurred in the ring, um, that you wanted to talk about was the sit vicious leg injury that occurred back in 2001 you want to go into some detail about what exactly happened during that uh, particular injury
4: oh man so that's if you've ever had the chance for anybody that's listening to if you can handle it to go back and watch it it's gruesome i mean it was on a pay-per-view 2001 in a match with sid vicious and scott steiner back in wcw and you know here's a guy who's six nine, three hundred and twenty 320 pounds who had just come back from a shoulder injury at the time and was just thrown into this match, wasn't really even ready to go, was just thrown into this match as a replacement, and they had asked him to do a move off the second rope. Now, if you follow this guy or you watch Sid's career in WCW, WWE, throughout the years, he wasn't one of those guys that you've seen come off the ropes. He was a pretty, you know, he was a grappler. That's what he was known for. Okay. So he gets up on the second rope, and it was a spot that he didn't want to do, and he told him he didn't want to do it. He wasn't comfortable with it. And they talked him into it like they do everybody else. And uh, again, if if you watch the spot, he comes off, he he throws like what looks like a a midair kick and he comes down on his left leg and the leg just snaps Ah, and he's just laying there. and It it almost looked like he had a boot that bent backwards on his leg, but it was, it's just a gruesome, brutal injury. Um, You know, again, for something that he didn't want to do to begin with.
2: Dom, do how high are those turnbuckles? If you're climbing up onto the top rope, how high would you would you guess that is? You're a good ten feet up.
4: Like they they always say, oh, he's sixteen feet in the air. He's not no sixteen feet in the air. He's he's eight to ten feet in the air. So when when you're on the second rope, I mean, you're about four foot up. It's it's nothing crazy. But you know, when you impact impact that jump again with a guy that's you know three hundred and something pounds coming down. Throwing a kick with his other leg and, and all that weight just landing on that left leg, yeah, bad things are going to happen, especially when you're a guy who's not really done that. You could go back, if you watched his whole career, I'd say maybe he came off the ropes twice. Okay. And that, that's an understatement.
2: And that's significant uh, because that uh, probably did contribute to why he got hurt because it's not a move that he's used to. His body's not uh, used to absorbing that type of a uh, landing from that height. So that's why I ask, you know, how high those rings, uh, the ropes are. And it's really deceiving when you're watching on TV as a fan, uh, with how high those, um, those ropes are. Uh, oh, you, yeah. it doesn't, I would never have guessed 10 feet in the air if you're standing on the top term. Yeah. Termicle. It's, it's like
4: eight to 10 feet, you know, it's like eight to 10 feet up when you're on it. You know, and again, like I said, they'll, you know, I think they take into consideration the height of the guy, you know? So yeah. it's like, well, he's 14 feet in the air. No, he's really not. He's eight feet in the <laughs> right. air, but you know, but I get it, you know, and it's, The risks are real. I mean, there's no question about it. I speak from experience from the few times that I did it that that injuries happen, and this one was just
2: brutal. And and the one thing I noticed about him uh, with his wardrobe was he's wearing those pretty high, like, patent leather-looking wrestling boots. But they look really supportive and pretty rigid. But are they actually?
4: I mean, I thought the same way as you, Brian, to be honest. But then when you look at how it bent, again, like I said earlier – To me, it almost looks like you got this boot that just snapped itself. Like, you don't, if when you, unless you know about it, when you first look at it, it's like, wait a minute, is that, is it the boot that just busted or is that his actual leg? And then when you see it, I mean, it's, it's just brutal. I mean, 17 inch rod, you know, have after the bone snapped through his skin put in his leg that caused him not to wrestle for two years. Um, So, so yeah, I mean, those those should be extremely supportive and, and I'm sure they're, thick as anything but well my guess is uh, that
2: they're probably not and the reason i say that is because they they did it did look quite flexible as his leg lay there in an awkward twisted bent position and um you know if you think about it when you're doing those types of moves in the ring and you're asked to be quite agile and having to bounce and run around the ring and jump and land twist you really can't have anything too rigid on your foot or ankle especially when that goes up below the knee like that otherwise you're not gonna be able to really do those moves so oh, absolutely. those yeah. things and, are probably and, and, not nearly as protective as they look. And sure. And, with- you know, the
4: funny thing is past years going back to the 60s and 70s, the 80s, if you watch old film, it's all the guys ever wore. They all wore those black heavy boots. You know, nowadays you see guys in sneakers, you see guys in flip-flops, you see guys in barefoot, you know, they, they wear anything. But this was this was a tough one. I mean, like I said, hes he's too big to be doing a move like that. And again, the other thing is if you go back and watch it, it wasn't even like your normal spot where somebody comes off the second rope and throws like an elbow or does like a, he was like flying off the second rope with a, a with a boot. Like it was kind of weird. And, and, you know, obviously something he didn't do and this is what yeah. the end result. And came So, up
2: so what essentially happened to him is he had what's called a, a tibial, tibia fibular fracture. Basically he fractured both of the bones that make up your shin, your tibia being the main one fibula being the one on the outside Uh, a little bit less important bone as far as weight bearing capacity uh, and strength and overall size. But when you fracture both bones like that, it's usually due to a combination of forces, one being the axial load. So landing directly on the leg with all his body weight from a height, it causes a tremendous increase in the axial load that the bone has to absorb. And when you throw in any type of rotational or translational component of the force, that's what usually happens. You'll get a quick, sudden, violent snapping or breaking of the bones. And usually it happens in more of like an oblique or spiral-type fracture pattern, which I didn't, I don't have, I'm not privy to his x-rays or imaging studies, so I don't know the exact pattern of his fracture. But if I had to guess, that would be my guess. Anytime the bone breaks like that, there's, it, it's sharp. bone is sharp. And when it has a break in that nature, those sharp pieces can basically dissect its way out through the tissue, the muscle, the fascia of covers the muscle and then out through the skin. And so you, you can have that happen where it becomes an open fracture where the bone is actually now open through the skin, exposed to the environment. And so that poses several unique uh, issues. One being there's a high risk of potential infection. Second being a um, high risk for potential neurovascular injury, meaning injuries to small or even large blood vessels, veins, arteries, um, uh, other vessels like lymphatic vessels, and nerve uh, tissue so any nerves that control motor function or sensory function to the lower leg that travel in the area where the bone was cracked has a potential to be severed or injured to some degree you'll always have some form of injury to those structures whether it's severe enough that it causes permanent damage or requires urgent like emergent surgical fixation that's that's a whole other story but usually uh surgical treatment is warranted and it usually has to be somewhat urgent you really want to get those guys to the hospital wash out the area where the wound occurred because you don't want any dirt or debris to get in there, which can increase the risk of infection. You want to get them started on IV antibiotics right away. And typically, depending on where those fracture occurs, that kind of determines uh, how you fix it. Most of the time, if the tibia has a nice clean break through it, you you do put a rod down there. So for him to get a, a rod down the leg is not unusual. In fact, if I broke my tibia, that's how I would want it to be fixed because that usually actually is a much easier recovery. That rod is designed to basically uh, absorb a lot of the forces of weight-bearing, so you're able to actually get up and walking around on your foot very quickly, and it allows your rehab to progress much quicker than it would if you had to use a plate and screws to kind of pin everything back together. That requires prolonged period of immobilization and non-weight-bearing, which slows down the rehab process significantly. Now, I don't know why it took him two years to get back. There is a likelihood that he probably had some residual complications from the injury, whether it be due to repetitive infections or if he had some type of nerve or neurovascular injury that required repair. That will always kind of slow down everything. But just to be able at that um, size and that age and doing those types of activities, it's not surprising to hear that it took him two years to get back. You know, that injury has occurred in numerous athletes throughout the years. Uh, Anderson Silva had a bad tib-fib fracture uh, during one of his UFC fights a couple of years ago. I don't think his was an open fracture, but he missed a significant amount of time. One of the more um, uh, uh, popular <laughs> fractures that was similar to Sid Vicious was that collegiate basketball player a few years ago during the NCAA tournament that occurred uh, on live television. And his actually was an open tib-fib fracture as well. Um that was very rare because his was basically just landing from a normal jump height, not from the top of a ring. So these are sometimes freak accidents that do occur, but um, I've seen a lot of them. A lot of times they do very well, despite the, the gruesomeness of the injury. It's actually sometimes a pretty straightforward fix. And a lot of times people are back doing their normal thing pretty quickly, believe it or not. Right.
4: Yeah. And he, you know, he was told by his doctor that he would never be able to run again um and he's like you know one of his things was i'm gonna prove him wrong you know so he did what he had to do and he was walking with a cane and doing his rehab and you know he made a few appearances unfortunately by that time wcw had went out he was 41 when the injury happened and then it was never really the same so the the few matches that he had after that weren't your typical mainstream you know big time matches but you know, it was it was it was if nothing else is the most one of the most gruesome things I've ever.
2: Seen. Yeah, bouncing back at the age of forty one from an injury like that is certainly more difficult than it would be if he was in his twenties. So yeah, sure. I'm not surprised. Um, so now uh, another injury that you had brought up, and this is I mean, if you haven't seen this stuff before, then you're probably living under a rock somewhere. You don't have to be a <laughs> wrestling fan to see Mick <laughs> Foley falling through a steel cage match. Right? This is the steel cage match to Hell in a Cell, 1997.
4: This was this was crazy. Hell in the Cell, 1997 against the Undertaker, King of the Ring. I mean, from start to finish. Oh my god! You know everything that this guy's done, and 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 you know, quick background. If you don't know Mick, Mick Mick's a great guy. Mick lives in Long Island, and I've seen Mick numerous times. I know you have as well. Well, so so um, quick
2: disclaimer here. I actually treated him. He was a patient of mine years ago, um, probably tor- more toward the end of his career. Right about the time he started writing children's books, which if you don't know, you he's a pretty yep. accomplished children's book author, ironically. Um, yeah. He was coming into the facility where I worked for doing some therapy for one of his many ailments, and I worked with him one-on-one. He was a great guy, super down-to-earth, one of the most nicest, politest, and um, intelligent people I've ever actually had the chance to spend time with as a like um, famous celebrity sports personality. I was shocked, to be honest. And um, he was wearing a Minnesota Twins Foley jersey, and he was about to hop on a plane to go to Minnesota to do something with his book signing or something. And it was a great experience, and I'll never forget it. And he was awesome. I gave him some professional advice, and we chatted a little bit, and I showed him some exercises. And uh, yeah, this was back in Long Island, back in like 2000, uh, I wanna say three or so, but it was a nice guy. I wish him the best. I hope he's doing well now, but not to cut you off. Anyway, that was an aside. Um so yeah he he had a lot of stuff going on during this uh
4: yeah and he and it, I'll tell you and I'll tell you a real quick Mcfoley story so WrestleMania in Orlando 2008 WrestleMania 24 I'm going to Orlando and Mick's on a plane with me. Mick's leaving out of Iceland, and he's going down for WrestleMania. And I'm like, hey, Mick, you know, and obviously at this point, I knew who he was. He didn't know who <laughs> I was. but So, you know, I, I think we took a picture together and whatnot. And then as we're coming back from Orlando and we're in Iceland, he's sitting by the carousel and he's waiting for his bags. And I turn to him and I go, hey, Mick, there's your bag. And he's like, how do you know that's my bag? And I'm like, we took the plane coming here together. I was like, and we were standing side by side with our bags. We took a picture together. He's like, oh. Okay, well, have a good day. And he took his bag <laughs> and he walked away. And then years later, I find out that the guy that owns the stationery right up the block from my house, literally two blocks away, a friend of mine, John, Mick was his best man. His no wife. kidding.
2: Nice.
4: Um, and they know each other very well, and he used to do some signings up at the stationery. But uh, <laughs> if, you, if you had the opportunity to watch Mick Foley, whether it was early in his career as Cactus Jack in WCW or later in his career in WWF, WWE, you know that this guy would do anything oh my god, yeah. for the show. He, he he did not no regard for his body and he did some amazing things and put on a show in ways that a lot of people were like, Oh, well, you know, he's a stunt man. No, he he's an entertainer. Oh says, my what god,
2: yeah.
4: Um, and one of the best. And and if you go back to the nineteen ninety seven King of the Ring, he does a spot real early in the match with The Undertaker where the two of them end up climbing up the side of the Hell in a Cell cage, fighting on the cage, and then the Undertaker takes him and throws him off the cage through a table. It was the first time that I had ever seen that spot done or had known anybody that would be crazy enough to do it. Um, and that was, you know, I mean, you, that it, had
2: to be like, thir- I mean, that was like 30 feet in the air. If, they, if they're jumping off turnbuckles that are like 10 feet, that had to be like 30, 40 feet. I mean, that was freaking far.
4: Yeah. I, I would say he's, I mean, best guess from, from the turnbuckle to how high the top of that cage goes, at least 25 feet oh minimum, God, at least. Um, and you know, and he does a, a flip, obviously like a front flip going off and he goes through the table. You hear the table just crash. And by the way, if, looking if, at if, Mick
2: Foley, I mean, let's, let's be honest. He's not like a chiseled, uh, uh ripped. You know, uh, aesthetically uh, looking athlete. Like the dude looks like he just rolled in off the street, and was, exactly. I mean, what he, he probably he's not even that tall. I remember standing next to him in the rehab facility. I was working with him. He's not even that much taller than me, and I'm only about five seven. He, right. And he's probably got a, at least the seventy five pounds on me. I mean, you know, I'm weighing in at like one seventy, one eighty. He's got to be well over two hundred. So short, probably compared to some of the other wrestlers, somewhat stocky. Let's say. And this guy's doing front flips off a cage 25 feet in the air, landing on a table.
4: Yeah, I mean, the cell itself, it just said it's it's 20 feet high, plus you're all the way on the top. So you're you're coming down 25 feet, no question about it, 26 feet, something like that. But he – so he does this spot, he goes through the table, and if you get a chance to watch it and listen to the commentary, it's crazy. You know, you got Jim Ross who's like, they, my God, they killed him. You know, that was the first <laughs> thing he says. And, and Do you think they, you know, knew?
2: Right you think and, they knew what was going to happen, or do you think they keep them out of the loop, the announcers? So I, I don't know how many people knew because
4: it, I, you know, I watch a lot of the, back scene, the backstage stuff and the documentaries, and one of the things when he went back to the locker room that day that you'll see a million times that Vince McMahon said to him, thank you so much for what you just did but you need to promise me you will never do that again <laughs> because he, you know, everybody feared for him. So I don't, yeah. I don't, you know, a lot of times the, the freedom is there for these guys to call their spots in the ring. And, you know, so I'm sure at some point they said, yeah, I'm going to go off the cage or I'm going to fall off the side, you know, cause guys have fell off the side of that cage. If you go back and you watch those matches, you know, the only two guys to ever come off the top were Mick Foley and Shane McMahon. And A lot of guys have come off the side of that that hell in the cell and went through a table. But the way he did it was, like I said, he did a front flip and he comes crashing through. So, you know, out come the doctors and they're checking on him and they put him on a stretcher. But, but you know, know, like
2: some people, guys that come off the side were like climbing up the side. So they weren't nearly as high. And this guy would do his standing. Oh,
4: yeah. No, they're, they're, they're 10 feet lower than the guys, at least 10 feet low, you know. And they have the opportunity to brace themselves. This guy takes this fall, you think it's over, you're watching at home, and then he gets up off the stretcher and he comes back. Crazy. And he starts climbing up again. Now, <laughs> what a lot of people don't know is if you go back and watch it, the second fall he takes is when The Undertaker choke slams him on top of the cell. Oh, that
2: was to me the most. That that's, I think actually was crazier than the first one.
4: And I don't think Absolutely this one was, was. This
2: one, I don't think this one was planned. It
4: was not. It wasn't planned. He was, you know, he was going to choke slam him on the cell, and and I believe the Undertaker was supposed to break through that cell and then climb down from there. there there's so many stories about it, oh, but really? he he ends up falling through the cage. He ends up falling into the ring, and if you watch it, there's a chair that's on the top of the cage with them that he had brought up there originally. The chair falls with him, and it ends up hitting him in the face. <laughs> Jesus. so the chair actually drives his tooth oh. through his nose
2: yeah i heard that
4: you know so he ends up with with a tooth hanging out of his nose everybody thought he was smiling and if you watch the interview with mickey <laughs> like i was just trying to push it so that it wasn't like you know i like guess <laughs> he ends there up with, with. <laughs> a dislocated yeah dislocated shoulder dislocated jaw and a concussion now and my honest opinion <laughs> I, that and that's what i was just going to say my honest opinion is i can't believe that that's all he came out of it with.
2: Right? I mean, that's crazy. You know, it it was
4: one of the craziest things. I mean, it put him on the map, no question about it, because it was a year later, the guy became champion and and was so well-known. It didn't matter. You know, back years ago, it was like, oh, Cactus Jack, Cactus Jack, and then he did these different characters. But then they knew Mick Foley because they knew— That became a household name
2: at that point. You know, and and if you go
4: back and there's there's a lot of interviews now, especially since Undertaker retired, and you watch some of the things he says about Mick. He's like, I didn't I didn't even know what to think, what to say. I'm standing up there looking at him. He goes, and then he comes back and starts climbing up again. <laughs> you know, and he's like, I just you're you're one crazy sob, and that's you know that's what he said to him, and and it just it's a spot that when you go back, if you're if you're a fan in any way, and people talk about, oh, what's the craziest thing you have ever seen? It's one of the top five. Oh, yeah. No question about
2: it. Hands, it down. It's... Hands down. Hands down, without without a doubt. And, and you know, I, I just want to caveat to that. So to think that there's no safety precautions in place with the WWE and the WCW and all these places, there absolutely is. They have full-time staff, WWE-employed, ringside physicians that are at almost every show who work with the various different wrestlers. So, they have emergency personnel in place. They're actually probably one of the more prepared um, healthcare teams in all of professional sports, if you want to group them into that category. They even have their in- own individual training center. Uh, and you might know this. I think it's called the Core Center or something, where they do a lot of training for the athletes and prospective wrestlers. And in Orlando, yeah, in that facility. They have a full-time staff of therapists and trainers and exercise physiologists. They have healthcare providers throughout the country that are also affiliated with the WWE. So while they're on the road, if they need to be seen for evaluations, x-rays, MRIs, things like that, they have a team of physicians that they um, are affiliated with and employ as well that provide services on a moment's notice. So they have a pretty wide array of healthcare professionals that work very closely with their their staff. Um, The the only other, well, I shouldn't say this, but I'm familiar with the Professional Bull Riders Association actually also has a very similar setup where they have a traveling healthcare team that goes to all the rodeos and stuff that you see in the PBR um, or PBRA and follow them around. So it's actually pretty unique and it's pretty – inclusive and very um, it encompasses a wide spectrum of healthcare members that help care for these guys and, and that goes right to the ringside so it's really pretty cool actually from my perspective but you know I won't even get into Mick Foley's injury I mean to cover all those injuries we don't have enough time but I mean the concussion stuff we've talked about uh, on Devil's Advocate a lot you know the fact that he didn't get knocked unconscious from some of those falls is amazing to me because it doesn't take much uh, to to have that happen the fact that he didn't have any major spinal cord or back injuries is also quite amazing when you're taking a fall from 25 possibly 30 feet up i mean that's when stuff becomes really really serious and i don't care how what you're landing on i mean even those tables those fold away tables i mean those things you land on that hurts man they hurt man and it's underneath me, they that hit. they don't they only have a very thin type of padding on concrete floors in those arenas i mean there's not super thick padding or like memory foam type padding i mean it's very flimsy at, at at the least or at the best you know so the fact that he didn't walk away with anything more serious than what he did we'll just call it a miracle and leave it at that
4: <laughs> absolutely
2: now um speaking of some spinal cord and neck stuff that's where a lot of the things that were moving forward kind of take us in that direction because those are usually the more severe stuff when you're talking about wrestling and you're doing these crazy moves where you're doing pile drivers and holes and suplexes, and that's when you start running into really serious injuries. So the next one you had mentioned was Steve Austin getting his neck injured while wrestling with Owen Hart, um, in, Summer, in SummerSlam '97. You want to go into that a little bit?
4: So the, you know this this one's tough because here's a guy who had come into the to the company, and if you followed his career prior, he was stunning Steve Austin in WCW for a lot of years you know, prior to that in the USWA, you know, in the early nineties. And this guy was one of the best technical wrestlers, long blonde hair. Um and and he was just when he came into WWE, he just took off. His career skyrocketed. So now he's in a program where he's working with Owen Hart, uh, in nineteen ninety seven. Um and SummerSlam, they have a match where They're going to do a spot that's been done so many times. If you're a wrestling fan where somebody takes you up for the tombstone pile driver and you sort of rock your legs back and you reverse it and you pick them up and then you drop them. Now, If you've watched a pile driver on TV, whether it's from, I mean, there's guys that are famous for that move, Mr. Wonderful Paul Arnold, Jerry Lawler, Harley Race, your typical pile driver, you put the guy's head between your legs, you pick him up, and you land on your butt, and that's how you do a pile driver, but the undertaker, he's known for that tombstone, right, so he puts the guy on his shoulder, puts his head down, and then he drops to his knees, for whatever reason, they talked before this match and, and, and Owen, you know, told Steve, he's like, I'm going to put you in the move and I'm going to drop to my butt. And he's like, well, no, he's like, if you're, if you're doing it the inverted way where you're going to have me that way, you're going to drop to your knees. He's like, yeah, well, what, you know, I got you, whatever it is, you know, for whatever reason, he sets Austin up and there's, you know, you, you have a certain way that you're, I don't know if you want to use the word programmed or trained to fall or take a certain bump and Owen drops down on his ass instead of his knees and steve's neck if you watch it just gets compressed like i unlike anything i've ever seen so you know unfortunately the move was done wrong it should have never been done that way um he goes down and and his exact words were i couldn't feel anything from my neck down i started to move my hands and then like Somebody's grandmother. I did a horrible roll, you know, roll up to Owen that looked so bad. I rolled him up. I got the three (laughs) count, and then later on, I started to be able to move my extremities. It's an injury that somehow, some way, luckily, the guy was only out of action for about four months.
2: Yeah, that's pretty remarkable.
4: You know, which is which is totally incredible, especially to see the injury, the way it happened, and know that he he really couldn't get it. And if you watch the roll up that he's talking about at the end, I mean. Even Owen had said, he's like, my little girl could have rolled me up better. He basically like trips over him. Austin puts his arm over him and they count one, two, three and, and, and Steve wins the match. It was just a brutal move. And you know, he did end up wrestling until 2003 where he retired, but he did retire due to neck injuries that till this day, you know, in his 50s still keep him out of the ring because he was never the same after that.
3: Yeah.
2: And so that's very common. When you're doing that type of activity and you're asked to do those types of moves and you've had a previous neck injury, I mean, you are putting yourself at a very high risk for re-injury and then permanent paralysis. Uh, Case in point, uh, Peyton Manning, you know, he had some pretty significant neck injuries, had surgery. Um, The talk was that basically was going to end his career. I think he came back for a few more seasons, but he was never quite the same after that. He lost a lot of mobility in his neck range of motion, which I think uh, hurt him with his ability to throw the ball down the field but
0: when your business is starting its championship run nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team with indeed you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more mvps faster start hiring right now with a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue offer valid through march 31st If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to indeed.com slash bluewire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, Anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: I love that. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all in one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like me the resources that were once reserved for big business. And it's customized to your needs. You get a great-looking online store that really helps bring your ideas to life and tools to manage the day-to-day and drive sales. And I'm speaking about this from experience. I'm really passionate about bass fishing. And a little over five years ago, I started an e-commerce bass fishing brand with my best friend Aaron, called Woo Tungsten. Actually, it's pronounced Woo Tungsten, W-O-O exclamation mark, because that's the sound you make when you catch a giant bass. And it was a no brainer to do this on Shopify because they've made it so easy every step of the way from creating product listings to making discount codes to managing shipments. In fact, if you want to see what an e-commerce store looks like on Shopify, go to WooTungsten.com and you can see. And it's No wonder that every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. You can get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience, and you can gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Go to Shopify.com slash BlueWire, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial, and you'll get access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today, just like me, just like Wu Tungsten, by going to Shopify.com slash BlueWire right now. That's Shopify.com slash BlueWire.
2: And going back to Steve Austin's injury, yes, if you watched that pile driver, it's a little hard to make out, but the position of his head and neck, and the angle at which it was when it impacted the the mat, um, very very dangerous. And if you follow football, especially youth football, one of the big things that the NFL and youth football leagues started doing within the last several years, and I couldn't put a time frame on it, but was was a um, they do a lot of these like promotional things where they try to encourage kids like proper techniques and stuff. And one of the things that they were doing back in the day was a thing called practice heads-up tackling. I don't know if you have heard that, Dom. Sure. um, And the reason for that is when when you tackle somebody, it's a lot safer and better technique to do it with your head and neck extended so that you can see the opponent that you're about to tackle. You want to tackle him and wrap him around the waist or the numbers. You want your face basically to be up into his chest or the numbers. When you start dipping your head, and you start flexing your cervical spine, you actually will straighten it out more. And what that does is it puts your spine in a very precarious position so that when impact is made, all that force gets transmitted in an axial way down the length of the spine. And that is the very thing that causes major spinal cord trauma. And so when you look at Steve Austin's injury, at the time he impacted the ground, his neck, and chin were basically slightly flexed to a degree where it caused that straightening of the cervical spine. And as he impacted the mat, all that force had nowhere to go but out through his, his neck and his cervical spine. And if you watch closely when, right after the move, he and he lands on the mat, uh, Owen Hart gets... Basically, you can see he kind of hesitated a little bit. Like he was going to do something, but then he noticed that Austin wasn't moving. And if you look closely at the video of the replay... You can see he kind of grabbed his hand and there was no reaction from Austin. Like he didn't move his fingers or anything. And Owen Hart kind of let go of it and was kind of like, then um, he kind of backed away and did like, you know, started kind of uh, mimicking and doing stuff with the crowd to kind of buy some time. And that's usually an indication or a big sign that something's wrong. When it, if, if the flow just does, in wrestling, the one thing that is very choreographed and there's a, usually a very, um, a very uh, in, intentive flow to the match. And if you notice that sometimes things kind of slow down or they kind of take a weird turn and it doesn't seem like it's slowing, it's probably because that is happening. There's some type of injury or something went out of script. And if you watch that replay, you can kind of see that happening and unfolding.
4: Yeah, and you're you're 100% spot on on that because if you, if you go back and you could find it somewhere online, Owen had an interview um, where he had talked about it and basically said he's like, I knew at that point when I looked down at at Steve that something was wrong. So I then played to the crowd to try to buy some time to see what, you know, and the ref, I told him, he's like, you know, you got to stop and obviously he's hurt. And that's where that roll-up came from. And, you know, ironically enough, the roll-up, if you watch it probably doesn't come for a good 60, 70, 80 seconds later. Yeah. Um, where he's he's killing as much time as he can to figure out exactly what happened. Now, where,
2: where Steve Austin got lucky was that um, whatever injury he did sustain, it wasn't um, a, a basic, complete spinal cord injury. So he may have had some slight temporary impairment. The key thing with that is that it didn't affect his respiratory center or his cognitive center, so he didn't lose consciousness and he didn't stop breathing. Because with neck and cervical spine injuries, that's a really possi- – that's a strong possibility when you start getting into the cervical spine. Because all the stuff, all the nerves and everything that exits out of your cervical spine is, is important to help control the diaphragm and the lung and your autonomic system where you basically breathe. And you don't know you're breathing. You're, it's just an automatic thing that your body does. When you start affecting those nerves, that can shut down immediately. Um, sure. There is an American Spinal Injury Association Impairment Scale, or ASIA for short and um, they basically grade spinal cord injuries um, using an A, B, C, D, E grading system, and uh, the A's tend to be the most severe. That's when basically there is complete impairment and permanent impairment. So lucky for Steve Austin, he didn't have a grade A, otherwise he wouldn't be walking and talking today. So he got lucky. Now there is another one that, um, I don't know if we really know the cause, but, in all likelihood, it was probably some type of severe grade A permanent um, spinal cord injury. If you want to talk about that one, we can talk about that one, and we can kind of lump that in together with the next one, Darren Drostoff and Pero Aguayo Jr. I think they're kind of similar as far as the injuries that occurred, the difference being the, out- the overall outcome, obviously. Do you want to get into those a little bit?
4: sure so so the ironic part you know you and i spoke about um with darren draws is i was actually in the National coliseum wow the night that it happened um there was a local radio station in in long island that we had won some tickets and i think we were first or second row and i remember he was wrestling d brown and d picks him up for a power bomb and it's a spot that you know a lot of guys when they work they work on a loop where these guys are working house shows together with each other 20, 30, 40 nights in a row. Okay. They wrestle the same match, you know, in different locations, and they travel around
2: the country. So these guys, so, have been, they've been working together, you're saying? So they've been
4: working together, and pretty much this, you know, they change a few spots here and there if they don't work, but they've been working the same match together for, you know, for however long. And this one happened to be a SmackDown taping. So this was going to get aired that Friday night or Thursday night whenever SmackDown was airing back in 99. So he picks him up, you know, and and I'm watching it from where I'm sitting, and I noticed that where he picked him up, he's real close to the corner where the turnbuckles are. Now, if you're going to do a running powerbomb, you pick the guy up, you move back a little bit, and then you run and you hit your spot. But I thought it was weird that he was that close. So what had happened was, when he picks him up for the power bomb, and if you've seen this move, you know it's it's sort of like a pile driver, and the guy's legs go up over your head. Darren Drawsdorf, who was a former, uh, you know, he played in the NFL for the Jets, the Eagles, the Denver Broncos before he became a wrestler. Um, he his legs hit that top turnbuckle, and the impact snapped him back the other way, where D'Lo basically drops him right on his head. Now, watching it live. Immediately, you know something's wrong because in wrestling, what they do is they throw up that X sign. The referee takes his arms and he crosses them. He throws them up in the air in the symbol of an X. And that means they need help, like you were talking about earlier with the medical staff, you know. So you have all these guys come running out. Now, when you're watching the show, yes, back in the the late 90s, the McMahons did portray characters on TV. But the one thing you see is you see Shane and you see Jerry Briscoe. These are all backstage agents in suits. Come running out right away, obviously, everybody knew something was wrong and this and I mean and this was you know they were an hour in the ring um, that this spot had went on, and obviously something was definitely wrong, you know unfortunately, Darren Drozdov would end up paralyzed. he is a quadriplegic today, um, and he does require twenty four hour care, and you know it's something that he unfortunately never ever recovered from
2: now i couldn't find any video of this i did see some still photographs but i couldn't see i couldn't find the video maybe i'm just not looking in the right place
4: well no the, the reason for that is that i had said to you earlier it was recorded oh. for smackdown for that friday night
2: gotcha when
4: when they had played the show they actually told everybody we were scheduled to have a match we're not going to show that match unfortunately oh, okay. darren draws up, you know so they they had another match that they had filmed at some point that they edited gotcha. in so footage video footage of certain things, which, you know, one of the major ones we'll get into later,
0: right.
4: um, are have never been released because they, okay. the only people that had that footage was WWE. I'm so sorry, I didn't, really, I
2: didn't really, I must have missed that there. I didn't understand what you're saying. But, yeah, well, that's probably for the better anyway. Nobody yeah, absolutely. To be replaying that it, it, was, it, was, it was rough, man. Yeah. yeah, so my guess is that it was probably very similar to the one we just talked about um, with Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was probably, right? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, the, I don't understand that move per se, but I guess it's straight down as well.
4: Yeah. So, so basically, you know, you, you picture like you have one guy standing over the other and you have his, his head in between your knees mm-hmm. and you're picking him up. So now his legs are going to come up to your head, yeah. but instead of dropping him there, you're going to keep picking him up so that basically he's looking up in the air on your, on your shoulders. So you have him gotcha. like, you know, and then you're going to drop him down on his back. Well, when he spun up, and the legs went behind him, they kicked that turnbuckle, forcing him back the other way, and D'Lo couldn't hold him, so he just basically dropped him on his head.
2: Gotcha. Um, yeah, and, it was, and it was you know, probably a very similar mechanism to what happened to Stone Cold, the only difference being, obviously, that uh, he suffered a what, what would be considered like a grade A permanent, complete injury to the spinal cord. Um, and again, when you start getting that high into the cervical spine, sudden death, you know from the spinal cord transaction can is a real possibility so he was very lucky if those right. ringside guys weren't there to take care of him he might he may not have made it yeah it, it was it was pretty bad man and how it works with the spine is usually you know depending on where the level of the injury is is going to determine what gets affected so generally the higher up you go in the spine the more of your uh, vital organs and functions get affected so when you start getting up around the Third, fourth, fifth vertebrae in the cervical spine—you start affecting the airway, you start affecting your diaphragm, you start affecting your ability to eat and swallow foods, talk. You know, similar to like many people remember Christopher Reeves. You know, he had a, he had a spinal cord transection, basically, or injury, permanent, complete injury, but it was permanent paralysis from the neck down. He had a feeding tube, I think. He had a, a trach because he couldn't breathe. So it becomes really serious. Um, and keeping along these themes, your next injury, uh, was, and I think I, was it the Arroyo?
4: Yeah. Perro Pero Aguayo Jr. Uh, wrestled in, in I believe it was A in Mexico. And, um, you know, a lot of people will know, I'm sure Ray Mysterio, who was one of the guys in the tag match that he was wrestling.
2: In. Yeah. And this was not that long ago. I remember this quite vividly because there was, there was this a lot the- of video on this one. It was kind of creepy. Yeah. This is, this is actually March of
4: 2015. Um, And, you know, if, if you watch Ray now and you follow his career, he he does a spot that he still does to this day where he'll either drop kick a guy or he'll put him in like a head scissor type move and he drops them down to the middle rope so that they're sort of leaning over the middle rope with their arms in their head. And then he runs from one end of the ring to the other, does this move that's called the 619, which represents his area code in San Diego. And he does like this spin kick, the guy goes down, he hits his finisher and he wins the match. On this particular night, when they were in Mexico, he hits Pero Aguayo with the drop kick to the back of the neck um, that, you know, at some point must have caused some sort of, you know, fractured vertebrae or whatever it was. Pero goes down, ends up on the second rope. It's a tag team match. So Ray does the same thing to his partner. So now he's got both guys lined up on that second rope to go hit this move. When he goes to the one end of the ring, the other guy realizes that his partner is unconscious. He's not moving, he's not doing anything, he's just laying there limp. So he sort of tells Ray to hold off. He puts you know, him down. Ray does the spin and sort of make sure he doesn't make contact. And then they don't finish the match and there's some guys on the outside and, and this guy's not moving at all. They thought maybe he got knocked unconscious from the drop kick or whatever it was. Um, It would wind up to show that, unfortunately, it was cervical spine trauma and that he had broken C1, C2, C3 vertebrae in his neck and, unfortunately, would end up dying shortly after the match.
2: Yeah, and that that goes to what I just said. I mean, the higher up you go, the more severe, the more complete, and the more um, uh, significant the outcome. So. Uh, Watching the video was a little disturbing from my point of view because I don't think that 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 match occurred in, where was it again? Mexico?
4: I believe it was in Mexico.
2: Yeah. Um, You could tell that they didn't quite have probably the proper um, precautions and uh, protocols in place to deal with something of that nature because for a while the match continued on while he was basically just laying there limp hanging on the rope.
4: Yeah, and, and to make a quick point to to add to what you're saying, I'll give you a little bit of info that I actually just read recently. Earlier in the night, another guy was injured, and they were working on him. It wasn't severe, but they were working on him in the back, and a lot of the you know scrutiny that they got was – You guys came out with a board and put this guy on a board. If you notice, it's a board that they put him on, not a stretcher. And the excuse was, well, we didn't want to take the other guy off the stretcher because he was getting worked on. So a little ironic. You only had one, you know what I mean? So that's that's a little... No, you always
2: have to be prepared for some type of multiple injury scenario where you may have more than one person that needs care, and you have to have a backup. There has to be a backup plan. It was concerning. It was concerning watching that from a healthcare perspective. They definitely he definitely did not receive the adequate attention that he needed given the severity of his injury in an adequate time. Um, He laid there limp on the rope for quite a, quite a while. You know, somebody came up to him, thought he was unconscious, was trying to like smack. I mean, there was nothing taken, no precaution taken whatsoever to stabilize the cervical spine or get him evaluated in the ring. Like they dragged him. I mean, it was just, it was hard to watch and that's, I'll just leave it at that. So his injuries obviously were fatal. Um, and again, this goes to what I was talking about with that American Spinal Injury Association Impairment Scale where the, the, the higher the grade, so A, the more complete, the more devastating the motor and sensory um, injuries are. So you know, obviously when you start getting up in the first, second, third vertebrae, that's basically death right there because those nerves coming out of that are attached to basically the, the spine, spinal cord in the brainstem. I mean, it controls sure. all your autonomic functions, the things that, that you don't think about that are occurring, breathing your diaphragm, your intestines, your airway, your um your, you know, all that stuff. Um so it's unfortunate. And uh it, it, the the actual injury itself was very innocent looking too. If you watch the, the clips, you know, it was a drop kick. Like how many times do guys do drop kicks in the ring like all the time.
4: Exactly, yeah, and Ray, like I said, Ray hits.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I saw, he didn't even get a chance to do that finishing move you spoke of where he whips through the rope. I mean, this was just a simple drop kick from a standing position to, you know, the back of the neck area, upper back. It was more of the reaction to that kick, I think, that was the nature of his injury. And it could have even been from the moment that he actually fell into the ring where he got this, like, whiplash type of effect and they think that yeah, that's and one what of the, caused things, the you interview.
4: you could answer this better than I can, one of the things I read like I, did, I you know I did a lot of research on this, and it said that they also believe that there could have been two points of impact, one being the drop kick himself that caused the initial break, and then the second at that point him he's out and he hit that second rope, and the second one being when he landed on the ropes and snapped his head back, being the second point Yeah, um, it's, hard, again, it's hard to know. really
2: say which of those two. May have been the moment when the injury occurred. Could have been a combination of the two. It's hard to say. It's hard to—they'll never know. But either one of those moments could have set the stage for that type of injury. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be that axial load that we talked about with the Steve Austin injury where you have compression of the spinal column. Sometimes it's that whiplash effect that can cause the injury itself, causing the spinal column to fracture, the bones around the spinal cord to break. And it, it, once that happens, if that spinal cord gets transected or severed or injured significantly enough, that that's it. I mean, it literally sure. happens like that. It's a split second, instantaneous, um, and very unfortunate. And I think that that's probably very similar to the next one that you were going to bring up, um, the Japanese wrestler.
4: Yes, so we are talking about Mitsuhara Misawa. Um, he's a guy, I mean, he was very well-known um, all around Japan, one of the most famous wrestlers for, for many, many years, was wrestling at the Hiroshima Green Arena in Japan, um, scheduled to go 35 minutes in a match, tag team match also, and the match ended about 10 minutes where he took a back suplex, um, You know, wound up, I guess, at that point unconscious, and then... I mean, it was just, it seemed like if you watch that one, just seconds or minutes, they're in the ring and they're attempting CPR. Um, and then it was speculated that he would end up dying a short while later. Um, cervical cord transaction is what I had read. Um,
2: yeah, 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 that's what really I read as well. Yeah, terrible. I mean, that, you don't want to ever see that. And these are guys that are just there to entertain. Um, you know, they're trying to make a career out of this. But, you know, yeah. as, as with anything, you know, it comes with risk. Um, and these guys put a lot of hours. They train really hard. Uh, they're, they're constantly working on their craft. Um, and it, that's why it drives me nuts when I hear people say these guys are not athletes. I mean, that's just hogwash. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. It, even when Abe, you know, uh, says that race car drivers aren't athletes. Uh, I, I can easily argue that to the contrary as well. Um, the things that these guys do phys- that are so physically demanding and require practice and skill, it, it, you don't really understand it until you see something like this happen. I mean, could you imagine getting in the ring and having to do that? Like, I wouldn't even last two seconds before I probably get something major happen to me. <laughs> and these guys are doing this like on a nightly basis. So, right. Crazy stuff. Now, yeah, it's... the last one we were going to talk about, probably the, one of the more famous ones. Um, again, this was one that was uh, taped. So there's no video, which is fine. I mean, we don't need video of this, was the Owen Hart fatality. You want to talk about that a little more?
4: You know, this one was, you know, I I grew up, I've watched wrestling since I was four years old. And uh, I I can tell you where I was, whose house I was with, and what I was doing the night of this pay-per-view. It was a pay-per-view called Over the Edge back in May of 1999. um, And Owen was in a match against the Godfather. Now, if you followed Owen, Owen portrayed a character for a long time called the Blue Blazer he would dress up in this blue mask with a cape and anybody who you, you listen to the things that they've said about Owen in his career. He was the prankster. He was the guy that was calling your room at two in the morning to tell you that, you know, you had to evacuate or or something like that. There's some great stories. If you ever get a chance to throw into Google and, and, and listen to about him. So he's set to do this spot where he's supposed to descend the arena like a superhero. And he comes down on this court and, you know, he was 90 feet up, and from what you, you can read every report about this, and everyone will tell you the same thing, that he wasn't comfortable doing this spot. And they were going to put him on the harness, and he was going to descend into the arena and, and whatnot. The second this thing had happened on air, they did an interview with him earlier in the night, and you hear Jim Ross say, we're going to show you something that happened earlier tonight. It's an interview with Owen Hart, the Blue Blazer. Um, we got big problems out here. That's what he that's what he says and, and you're watching it and you're like, What you know, what does that mean? And then they're just they're panning the crowd and there's a little bit of silence and then they tell you they're like, you know, Owen was supposed to descend in super like hero fashion, something went terribly wrong. And the story is he fell and he hit the turnbuckle head first, and then he just laid there motionless in the ring and he was discolored and Within, I would say, an hour, an hour and a half later, they came on that pay-per-view and basically told you, we have the unfortunate distinction of letting you know that Owen Hart has died. And it was, I mean, you talk about something that shook up the wrestling world for forever. I mean, but but that lasted weeks and weeks and weeks of you were seeing them on CNN and you were seeing them on all kinds of news and media outlets and it was sad, man. It was one of the hardest things to watch to the point where, you know, thank God there's no footage out there of it because there's there's no reason for there to be, you know, it, there's really no other way to say it, but it was, he had little kids at the time and, yeah. and it was, it was really a, a tough thing to watch to
2: see a guy. Yeah. Nobody needs to who, see
4: that. You know? Yeah. Especially a guy who didn't want to do that spot.
2: Right. And I, I heard, I read that the, he had, it's not something he hadn't done before he had practiced or they had done it earlier in the evening, I think tested out the equipment and he had done it on a few other occasions. Is that correct?
4: Yeah. But, but the other occasions that he did it, it wasn't that high up. Like this was Uh, a catwalk in the Kemper arena in Kansas city. And, and the other times, like he was on a harness and he was like, you know, down the aisle where the guy where the wrestlers walk out and he would, you know, he wasn't really that high up. So he had went up there earlier in the day and I believe they tested out the equipment and I don't know if they ran through the actual spot, but he was uncomfortable doing it. I mean, that there's no question about it. You know, if you go back, one of the one of the best wrestlers, unfortunately, that also passed away a few years back, t- talks about it is Roddy Piper, and Roddy's like Owen oh, didn't want to do that spot. Owen, oh, you know, and and it was it was really a, a tough situation, especially with family and and knowing the way he was, and you know,
2: yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Got to trust your gut on those things if you're, uh, yeah, you know, any with anything in life. I mean, if you're if you're put in a position where your gut's telling you one thing, and your conscious is telling you something else. Go with your gut. Yeah, and listen, you know,
4: you know, at the end of the day, listen, th- these guys they have families to support and they have jobs and and we all get it, you know. But if you listen to a lot of these stories, and I'm not saying every single one of them, but like the first one we touched on with Sid and this one with Owen and the one with Austin where he didn't want to do the pile driver that way, you know, you, you think about it, it all, you know, a lot of them end up to something where okay, you weren't comfortable with the spot. Sid didn't want to come off the second rope. Steve didn't want to take a, a pile driver inverted that way. Owen didn't want to you know, and it's unfortunate that, you know, how many people are gonna turn around and tell tell Vince McMisson no or, or tell their employer no. And that's
2: that's the worst part about it. Especially during that time. I mean, that's like that was probably like the peak of professional wrestling if you know. Oh, 99. ratings were through the roof. They I mean, like I can remember in the nineties, right? Like, I mean, come on, that was like when you and I were in high school and we I used to I can remember just hanging out in my buddy's house just watching raw and pay-per-views and just making a party out of it. And yeah, that was,
4: and and back in 99, you had, you know, you had both companies going head to head every Monday. Oh yeah. And you know, now at that point, WWE had finally taken over, you know, they had won the rating, you know, they were finally starting to get the ball rolling and, and get back on track. And ratings were huge. And it was one of the most watched, you know, that whole week was one of the most watched. I think, I think the raw after that, incident was like the highest rated roar ever where they did a tribute show to him and all the wrestlers got to speak for like two minutes and say what they thought about him and you know but yeah that's that's what it was nobody you know you have to nobody wants to say no but at the end of the day you know you got to put your health and your life and everything first and unfortunately in this situation it, it didn't pan out
2: yeah no i mean unfortunately from a sports medicine angle there's nothing you can say about that one i mean that's not really a sports medicine injury <laughs> no no I mean, definitely that's a not. that's a traumatic uh unfortunate accident and uh i don't know if they've even never really determined the cause of death but i'm sure it had there was multiple factors probably contributed oh yeah when you're falling from that high and you're hitting a turnbuckle and in the ring i mean it's just terrible yeah man I, that was so, that was
4: a sad one it was a, it was tragic and uh you know I, I know there's precautions that were taken so things like that will never happen again and you know and you know at the end of the day you you get sometimes you get the the other side of the fence where you get good stories like i had touched briefly with you on like edge who was out for nine years with a broken neck and got surgery and you know here he is you see him back now guy just won a royal rumble he's full-time Shawn michaels with a major back injury that was out four years and in my opinion is the best wrestler of all time you know came back and you know so so in that case yeah you know sometimes it's the other way but that one like you just said, was just a tragedy, and uh, that was rough.
2: Yeah, I don't think people really understand, you know, what it takes to come back from these injuries, and especially when, like I said, when you start dealing with the spinal column and the back and the vertebrae, and it's much, much more difficult to make a full return to functional, let alone athletic activity. It can take sometimes years for these people to recover to the point where sure. you're just do, able to do every normal day activity pain-free and without symptoms. Now getting back in the ring, that's a whole nother story. And you know, you just, I mean, it, these guys must have worked their tails off to be able to come back from those injuries nine years later. Several, I mean, several years, later, and that's crazy. So, kudos to them. Kudos to the people taking care of them. You know, it's it's not common. I'll tell you that right now. It's not to be expected. It's not the norm. There's several outliers, and these guys are two of them. The ones you just mentioned there, uh, Strong yeah. Michaels and stuff. So, uh, but you know, it, the the the, the more consistent thing that we see is a lot of people never quite returning to their full capacity and capability when it comes to injuries. And that's why when I do the podcast, when I do Abe's show, you know, I I focus on that part of it. I focus on the injuries and I try to help you guys understand that the complexity that's involved with these things and just what to look for when you're watching your favorite athlete or when you're making a bet on a game or when you're putting down on the line there, you know, these are things that you may overlook but i see and i pay attention to and uh these were very good examples of that so thanks for um coming on the show and bringing this stuff to my attention and giving our listeners something else to listen to aside from the the normal stuff that we'd cover on the show um <laughs> Is there any other things you want to talk about or any other questions you might have uh, relating to some of the things we mentioned already? I think already, that's
4: or... it, man. I, I, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, it's something, like I said, you know, to you back when we first talked about this, that it doesn't get talk and, talked about enough. And like you had touched on the fact that, oh, they're not real athletes. You know, these guys take more of a beating than, than you know, what they consider to be regular athletes, unfortunately. They put their bodies on the line. Yes, it's a different form of entertainment. Um... And trust me, you know, it hurts. It, there's there's no question about it. And these are the unfortunate tragedies, you know, three of them that we just touched on that happen from, you know, specific injuries, some that get recovered and some that you don't. Yeah, and, choreograph-
2: uh, and choreographed or not, doesn't make a damn bit of difference when you're hurling yourself through the air like that and jumping around like that uh, it doesn't matter oh yeah man without <laughs> a doubt
4: i mean it yeah. doesn't make a difference it's yeah. its you know you can train like you know they, they always use the the, the saying oh well, they know how to fall there's no such thing no yeah. there's no such thing as you can be trained to fall a certain way whether you're a martial artist jujitsu, wrestling whatever it may be but you you know any fall could go wrong you could trip walking out of your house and and do permanent damage i always it's say it doesn't it, you know,
2: take but a split second and if the conditions are right, and and in that split second, things happen, and there's That's nothing it, you can it's do about crazy. it. Crazy, yeah. So, well, Dom, the Tuesday night delight on the show, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us, Dom. What was your uh, other nickname? I think we touched base on this a little bit, but did you ever tell me? Was it the upscale Mail. The upscale Mail. I like that. That's one. That's when I, I used you to put a suit one. on. I don't put them on anymore. Oh, okay. Well, we can we can always <laughs> throw that out there for old time's sake. <laughs> Don, thanks for stopping in. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Injured List podcast. We'll be back after this.
1: You're listening to the Injured List podcast with your host, Brian Scott, your go-to resource for all sport injury-related topics. For show notes and other resources, visit theinjuredlist.com. Now, back to the show.
2: All right, everybody. Well, thank you once again for joining us. That was a great little stroll down memory lane with our good friend Dominic Orza, a.k.a. Dom, the Tuesday Night Delight. It was a pleasure having you on, buddy. Thanks once again. And I hope uh, we provided a little bit of entertainment and some basic information regarding some pretty significant injuries in the world of professional wrestling. Great to always think back to those great times when I was younger, enjoying the wrestling scene with my friends. So uh, hope all is well. Uh, Hope everyone's safe healthy and uh thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon.
4: Bundling car and renter's insurance with Geico is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. So why not ask? Just say,
1: Hey, did you get your haircut? It looks cool. Also, have you saved even more by bundling with Geico? Or maybe, Hey, did you get your haircut? It looks weird. Uh, not weird, cool. Anyway, have you bundled with Geico? Or try, Hey, did you get your haircut? It doesn't look weird at all. Anywho, have you saved by bundling with, Hey, easy with that rake?
4: Bundling is easy with Geico. Just ask your neighbors.